Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. We are in week two of a series called the B-I-B-L-E. And so we're talking about just that, the Bible. We're talking about the Bible over the course of this series. We're talking about what exactly do we have with the Bible. We're not reading all of the Bible. That would take quite some time. And we're not necessarily talking about apologetics or the credibility of the Bible. That could be another series for another time. But we're more so saying we have this book. We talk about it every single week. We encourage people to read it. What exactly do we have? with this book, what is contained within it, what are some lenses that we can use to read it and help to make it, you know, relatable or applicable within our lives, and we're digging into that, and last week we talked about different ways in which people misread the Bible, and then we talked about the story of the Bible, which we'll dig into more this week, but one of the questions I started with last week was, who remembers their first Bible, and I want to ask that again today. Does anybody remember when you got your first Bible? Maybe some of you just got it last week. Maybe none of you have ever had a Bible before. Anybody remember your first Bible or the first Bible you were excited about getting? Or does anybody remember the first time you tried reading the Bible and and you started reading it and there were some just weird stories and stuff in there? Like you get to the book of Judges and there's the one where the guy gets stabbed and his stomach is so large that it absorbs the the entire sword. It's kind of a strange story or the story about a guy who gets swallowed by a fish named Jonah and then it gets spit out and you're like, "There's, there's some different kinds of stories within this book. What exactly do we have here? What exactly is this book? What does it contain? How can we read it? How do we make sense of it? And uh, one of the things I shared last week was the first Bible that I remember receiving that I was excited about was a purple Bible man Bible when I was a kid. And I found my purple Bible man Bible this week. And so I figured I would show it to all of you. It is all taped up because I tore it up. My grandmother got this for me in the year 2000. And it was just like I shared with you. It has Bible man comics in it. Now, for those of you who don't know who Bible man is, this was kind of dramatic. Uh, Christian superhero type of thing. You probably can't see this from where you're sitting. But anyways, Bible Man was this guy who would wear a purple costume and he would fight the Fibbler and the Gossip Queen and all these people. And it was really dramatic. It would start out in the beginning of a Bible Man episode talking about Miles Peterson. That was his alter ego. And it, the, the narrator, and it was it was raining outside and it was dark and Miles Peterson was like walking through the woods and it said, uh, Miles Peterson, the man who had it all, wealth, status, success, still something was lacking. And then Miles would start screaming. He'd be like, ah! I know This is a really dramatic scenario. And then it was like, uh, I think it said, uh, down alone, his spirit beaten. And then uh, he keeps screaming. He's like screaming in the middle of the woods. It's raining. And then all of a sudden, a Bible appears from the midst of, uh, from the midst of these leaves and sticks. And it said, uh, Miles began, found this book and it began to change his life. And Miles chose to fight evil in the name of God. And he became Bible man. And he had his yellow lightsaber and he'd take out all these villains. And this was my Bible man Bible. And I had a Bible man outfit. I had a Bible man birthday party when I was a kid. I had a, there, my mom made a Bible man cake for me. I was really into Bible, man. I was all about Bible, man. And I, I was going through this. I found all these cool things in here. I, this is not Bible, man related at all, but I found this thing. Somebody must have given this to me at one point in time called the jelly bean prayer. So what's the jelly bean prayer? So I figured I'd share this with you because I thought it was funny. I should have given everybody jelly beans today. Um, this has nothing to do with the message, by the way. I just thought it was funny. Uh, Lord, in my basket, I see six jelly beans. What could they mean? Speckled 
is for the stain of my sin. Red is for blood, my salvation he'd win. Blue is for baptism when faith I received. White is for cleansing of sin, I believe. Green is for studying his word so I'll grow. And yellow is for the promise of heaven where one day I'll go. It's pretty creative right there. I don't, you know, it's pretty good stuff. But anyways, I just thought I would show you my Bible Man Bible to let you know that this is real and it exists because I think some people did not believe me that there was somebody named Bible Man. He was very real and he would always come to save the day. But I'm going to set this over here now. Uh, But this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the Bible, and we all have a different relationship with the Bible. Some of us might have a more complicated relationship with the Bible than others. Some of us, we really enjoy reading it. Some of us, we've tried reading it, and it didn't go so well. Some of us, we've never tried reading it before. So what exactly do we have with this book? And what I want to talk to you about this week, if you're taking notes, is the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible. And we hit on this some last week, and I just really want to get more into this concept this week because the stories that captivate our hearts and our minds, we want to be a part of those stories. If you even think back to when you were a kid, there were certain stories, maybe they were animated movies or superhero stories or Star Wars or whatever, and you would imagine that you could be the characters and you would imagine that you could be a part of that story because we get wrapped up into the stories that captivate our hearts and minds and we want to be a part of them. We want to, we want to participate in these stories and, and we want to be in them. And this even happens for us as adults because if you think about the shows that you watch or the movies you watch or the books that you read, for those of us who still read these days, the books you read, and, and you, you'll start to get like sad with certain characters. You'll, you'll laugh with certain characters. But the reason I know that we get really wrapped up in these stories is because we get angry with and for these characters. And sometimes I'm sitting with Kim and she's really into a show and I'm not as into it. I'll be reading and she's getting really angry. And I'll say, Kim, why are you getting angry over this non-existent reality that you have absolutely no control over? The writers of this show are controlling what is going to happen here. Why are you getting angry over this? We can't do anything about this. We don't know these people. They're not in our lives. They're not real people. Why are we getting angry about this? But you've probably done this before. You've probably been watching. I can't believe they would do that. They, that, that I hate him. I hate, I hate that character. I hate him. I can't stand him. Why? This is, this is not real. We can't do anything about this. We have no control over this. It's because we get really wrapped up in the stories that we love, the stories that we connect with. And, and sometimes, as we talked about last week, we just view the Bible as a rule book, or we misuse it as a science book, or we mis- and we don't fully see it for the fullness of what it is. And I believe that the Bible is this powerful, divine story that is, uh, that is revealing who God is, and it's a story that we've been invited to live in, and this is a story that we can actually participate in. This is a story that we can actually make a difference in. This is a story that we have been called and extended an invite to be a part of. And so to give you a summary of last week, we talked about uh, segmenting the Bible into three different acts. Act one was creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Act two was fallen creation. And as I said, that was a bit of an oversimplification, but it, fallen creation covered Genesis three through Malachi. And there's this wrestling with creation that happens in the fallen creation as well. 
And then part three or act three, we called new creation, which is Matthew to Revelation. And when Jesus came to earth, he, he inaugurated, he started this new creation movement. And one day when he returns, we will see the fullness of new creation, but new creation is happening now. And we've been invited to participate in the work and the project and the actions of new creation. We are invited to live within this story. And really nobody makes this more clear than John and his gospel because in John chapter one, John starts with in the beginning. It's like he's telling the story of a new beginning, of a new creation that's starting in Jesus. And then when John is wrapping up his gospel at the resurrection of Jesus, he actually depicts Jesus as the gardener in the garden in John chapter 20. Look at this, it'll be right up on the screen. Jesus said to her, he's interacting with Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi, which means teacher. So she sees him as the gardener. He's the new gardener. He's the new Adam. Everything Adam failed to be, Jesus was the perfect human who demonstrated for us what it means to be truly human. He's the new gardener, the new Adam. And in him, this new creation project that God has started is happening here and now, but will also exist into the future with the transformed heaven and the transformed earth, the new heavens and the new earth that God will one day make. This is the fullness of the story coming together. And so just for review, we said this, the Bible contains the story of God renewing and rescuing his creation. He created it all and it was good. And there's this fall and Jesus is a part of this renewing and restoration process that God is bringing about. Which brings about a question for us. Why is God renewing and rescuing his creation? Why, why is this happening? Now, a few easy, simple answers would be this. Well, one, because there's a fallen creation and God wants to rescue and renew his fallen creation. Another easy answer would be, well, God loves his creation. That's very clear. God deeply loves his created beings. He loves his creation. But, but why is God doing this? What is the overall goal that God is moving towards? And this is what I want us to talk about this week as we look at the story of the Bible and what we've been called to participate in within this story. And it's this, the Bible, in the Bible, God is renewing and rescuing his creation to restore oneness. In the Bible, we see the story of God renewing and restoring his creation to restore and to bring about oneness that once existed in Genesis 1 and 2. He's, he's bringing, and this is not just oneness. I mean, that sounds kind of oneness. What's, what's, it's a oneness that brings wholeness. It's a oneness that brings life. It's a oneness that's infused with love. It's a oneness that we are intended to live in. And it's a oneness where we as the church are brought together with the one true king existing in the one true reality that we were created and designed to live in. And this is a oneness that every single one of us has been invited to live in and participate in under King Jesus. It's a oneness that we're being, because what happened when the fall happened, when sin entered the world, there was a oneness with God and his creation. God rests in his creation. It was good. It was beautiful. And then sin enters. And instead of oneness, we now have otherness. There's a separation between creation and God. There becomes a separation between created beings. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you that human beings have a problem with divisiveness. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> 
And then otherness begins to exist between creation and then also between creation and creator. And God is desiring to break the wall of that otherness and restore oneness that brings wholeness, love, and life. And to further illustrate this and demonstrate this and show this to us this morning, I am going to give you a completely different three-part way of reading the Bible than what I gave to you last week of creation, fallen creation, and new creation. And I'm not doing this just to confuse you. I'm doing this because I think this is going to be really helpful. And maybe, honestly, this next model I'm going to give you, I I stole it from somewhere else, and it's just way better than the model that that I gave you last week. So we're going to go with this one. But they actually work together really well. They complement one another. But this one that I'm going to give you comes from a book titled The Blue Parakeet by Dr. Scott McKnight. If any of you are interested in reading a book on interpreting and understanding the scriptures, I've read a number of them. Blue Parakeet is probably my favorite. I would highly recommend Blue Parakeet by Dr. Scott McKnight. I know it's kind of a strange title, but it's a really, really good book. And uh, you'll see why it's titled that if you pick it up and read it. I'm not going to tell you. Just just get a copy and read it. And uh, I'm going to take you through his three-part understanding of the scripture. He calls them chapters. But in this, what he's doing is he's demonstrating how God desires to restore oneness and the rescuing and the renewing of his creation. So I'm going to look at a lot of scriptures here. I'm going to quote McKnight a few times. I don't have many more jokes or stories to tell in the rest of this message, but we can get through this, right? We got this. I I won't be as entertaining, but we're going to get on the information superhighway. Is that what it's called? Something like that. We're going to get on that. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to dig into this. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to have a great time together. I'm just going to throw a bunch of information at you, and then you can go figure out what you want to do with it later. Everyone good with that? Okay, good. So, what he calls chapter one in reading and understanding the scriptures. Chapter one, it, he, he refers to it as theocracy. What we have in chapter one in Genesis one through first Samuel eight is a theocracy. Theo meaning God, ocracy, he's over all things. So we have the theocracy where God creates and God is over all things. God is, God is over everything. He's the king of all. Uh, McKnight describes it this way. He says, thus the story extends from Adam and Abraham to Moses and Samuel. But a noticeable feature of this story is that humans constantly resist the will of God. God makes a covenant to redeem them, gives the law to guide them, and provides a sacrificial system to reconcile them to himself. But most importantly, God turns his gracious and guiding attention, especially to one family, Abraham's, and to one nation, Israel. From Genesis on, the core of the Bible's story is Israel, and in the New Testament, it is the church. So what we see in the theocracy is this story. It's the story of God and his creation where oneness exists. It's the story of Adam and Eve as image bearers who are connected as one. And then after the fall, it's the story of God's covenant community, Israel, where humans are restored to God, self, and others. Oneness is now made possible, but it is not always really achieved. If you read through the Old Testament, there's a lot of up and down, back and forth, people rebelling against God, people misunderstanding and misrepresenting God, God coming and restoring people. There's a lot of movement and a lot of activity in the Old Testament where God is trying to restore this relationship of oneness that once existed. And in Genesis 1 and 2, God is at one with his creation. He rests in his creation. But not only that, humans are one with one another. Adam and Eve are made to be one with one another. Genesis 2.24 says this, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become 
one flesh. They are made one. There is a oneness that exists that brings life, that is driven by the love of God and the creation of God, the oneness that is brought together in Adam and Eve as a reflection of the oneness of the Trinity where God said, let us make man in our image, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's all of, it's one. It's, it's together. It's, it's, it's togetherness. But then otherness is introduced. When Eve listens to the serpent and she decides to eat from the tree and then Adam's like, I'll jump on board. I'll do that as well. And we see this otherness right away because as soon as Adam and Eve end up in the garden and God comes and has a conversation with them, Eve's like, hey, you know, it was the serpent's fault. And Adam goes, it was Eve. It was Eve. It was Eve. And where there was oneness, there's now this other. It, it wasn't me. It was them. It, it, it was them. It was them. And we do this all the time. We're always pointing the finger. Oh, you know, I mean, I guess I could take a little bit of responsibility, but it wouldn't have happened if it wouldn't have been for them. And where there was oneness, this otherness begins to exist. But God demonstrates very early on that this is not what he desires for his creation. Because yes, he addresses Adam and Eve and he lets them know what the consequences for their decision will be. But then he does something for them that is so beautiful. Genesis 3.21 says this, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. They were in a spot of vulnerability, of embarrassment, of dealing with the, the consequences of their actions that would now lead to death and separation. And God in this moment, instead of pushing them away because they made a decision that was moving against what he had for them, instead of just scolding them and walking away, God clothes them. Why? Because God desires to continue to invite humanity back into a relationship of oneness and unity and wholeness and life with him. And not only does God desire this for, for us to have with him, but he desires for us to have this between one another. When God calls Abraham and sets him apart and says, Abraham, I'm going to you know, bless people through your, through your line and through your nation, and you know, I'm going to establish this through your family. Look at what he says in John 12, 2. I mean, Genesis 12, 2. Genesis 12, 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. God sets up his people to be a blessing to other people, to be a light to other people, to bring hope to other people, to be a blessing. This is why I, I get concerned whenever I hear somebody say, you know, me and Jesus, we're all good. We got our understanding. We're fine. But me and other people, <laughs> that's another story. We'll figure that out at another time. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when we go through hurt. Church hurt's a very real thing. Hurt with other friends or, or believers or not. Hurt is like, it's a very, and so I don't ever want to advocate that you need to rush that process or you need to figure that out immediately. But God has given us other people as a way for us to minister to one another, to bless one another, and to be one with one another. And so, yes, there are times and there are seasons where we have moments of disconnection, where we have moments of, I, I just, not right now, I need some space, I need some time to heal. Yes, totally. That happens. It's happened in my life. It's probably happened in many people's lives here if you've been raised in church for any period of time. Sometimes you need some space to have some you and Jesus time and to figure some things out. But ultimately, Jesus has given us his church 
as, as a support system and as a community for us to be one together and to invite other humans into this community of oneness in a world that is so divided, in a world where people are just always at each other. We have an opportunity to invite people into something different, a community of oneness and wholeness and life. And this is what God established in the theocracy and began to get messed up. And then it gets even worse. And this comes to chapter two, when the people ask for a monarchy. They basically, Israel's like, oh God, you know, God, you're just not cutting it for us as king. You're not getting the job done. God, you know, we know you created everything. We know that you love us and you delivered us from Egypt. We know that you gave us this covenant. We, God, we know that it's, it's great, but you know what? You're just not, we want a human king like everybody else. God, we want to vote you out and bring a human king in. And Samuel the prophet is really upset about this. And God says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They've rejected me. And this opens up the monarchy, 1 Samuel. Well, I'll get to that in just a moment. I'm sorry, I got to read this quote. Uh, McKnight says in this section, it's Israel is God's covenant people desire a king. God grants them a king, but this does not solve Israel's problems. God uses the kings and the prophets and the sages to anticipate the one true king, prophet, and sage. It is through the kings, prophets, and sages that we start to see our need for the true king, the true prophet, who is Jesus. So it is in this period that we start to see, man, uh, when humans are, have, have the reins, things get, a little, th- things get a little crazy. Things get a little out of control. And, and this is a rejection of God as their king. First Samuel chapter eight, the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they have said to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. Now, as we fast forward 2,000 years and we can look back, oh, 2,000 years from the time of Jesus and a little bit more from even this time, and we look back on this time in Israel's history and we see them rejecting God as king and saying, ah, you know, and, and if you go and read the times of the kings, once again, there's a lot of, a lot of drama, a lot of things going on that are not good things. Just bad scenario after bad scenario over and over again. And this is, this is a reflection of what happens when we reject today, when we reject Jesus as king. And we start choosing our own kingdoms, the kingdom of self or the kingdom of ideologies or the kingdom of I just know better or the kingdom of I like a little bit of this about Jesus, but I want to add my own spin to the whole Jesus thing. That's what starts. And so a good question to ask ourselves when we look at this time of the monarchy is, is to ask yourself, when are, what are moments in my life or what are areas of my life where I have asked to have another king other than Jesus? Where are moments in my life where I'm saying, ah, you know what, I just don't want to follow the kingship of Jesus into that space. I don't want to look like Jesus. I don't want to act like Jesus. I don't want to follow Jesus into that area. Jesus, you can be king over all of the rest of this, but in this area, I want to hold on to this and I want to be the king over this or I want somebody else to be the king over this. I, what are areas in which you, what are areas where I have, where we have rejected Jesus as king and we've said, I want this king because maybe it just feels a little better. What, what Israel had in the monarchy was a, they desired a king because it was based out of a heart of comparison. They wanted to be like other, other nations. We want to be like everybody else. This wasn't born out of a heart of oneness 
It was born out of a heart of otherness. I'm comparing and looking and saying, I just want to be like everybody else. And when have we traded in the kingdom of God and wanting to live within his kingdom reign for our own kingdoms? Maybe that's something you can talk about in your story group. But then we get from monarchy and we move into chapter three, which McKnight refers to as Christocracy. This is where Jesus comes and he begins to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The first words out of the mouth of Jesus in Mark chapter one is, hey, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has arrived. It is here. It is present in Jesus. And McKnight describes it this way. He says, the Christocracy period extends from Matthew 1.1 to the end of Revelation where the lamb who is the lion, who is the son, rules with the father over the new heaven and the new earth. Once again, God rules. Christocracy is the new theocracy. But now the people of God expand from Israel to include Gentiles in one people of God, the church. These people too are not perfect. Church people sin, but forgiveness is now granted through the cross of Christ. This is now what is made possible through Christ. So in the Christocracy, it's the story of Jesus Christ as the king of the story and whose story we are now invited to live in. It's the story of of the church as Jesus' new covenant community. And it's the story of the consummation when all the designs of our creator God will finally be realized forever and ever. It's gonna lead to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the story that's unraveling and it's coming together. And it's a beautiful story of love of Christ going to as far as he possibly can go and giving his very life so that we can be restored to oneness with God and be restored to oneness with one another. That's why Jesus said the most important of the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. We are to be restored to oneness with God and oneness with others because this is what reflects the heart of God, the heart of create the creator, and his design for the creation. And this is the story that's unraveling in the scriptures. This is the story that we have been invited to live in, to become people of oneness who exist as one in Christ and then invite other people into this. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. It's called the high priestly prayer. And a part of this prayer, Jesus says to the Father, Father, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. Think about this for just a moment. When we as the church live as one within new story, when we as the church live as one with other churches and other kingdom-minded people and other ministries, and when we invite other people into this community of oneness and we choose to love God and love others, we are actually living in the reality of a prayer of Jesus. Isn't that cool? That, that Jesus prayed for us to be one. And, and when, we, when we start to walk in that oneness in obedience and following his Holy Spirit, we are living within the dream, within the idea, within the prayer of Jesus that he desired for his church to live in. We are living within that. We are living within that story. And it's a beautiful story of love, of a God having unsurpassable love for you and for me. And so therefore we extend unsurpassable love to every person that we interact with to the best of our abilities, even when it's tough. So I know I've given you a lot today, but I want to give you four ways in which Jesus restores oneness between us and the Father and between one another. And the first way that Jesus does this is that Jesus became one of us. Jesus became one of us. I've said this a lot here before, but it's something that we shouldn't get over that Jesus isn't a king who said, hey, uh, 
I'm going to give you a plan, and uh, you go do it and go figure it out, and then hopefully you'll figure out how to one day find me and get to me and do what it is that I want for you. No, Jesus literally became one of us and demonstrated for us what it means to be truly human. Jesus demonstrated what it means for us to love others. Jesus demonstrated what it means for us to extend kindness and grace to one another. Jesus demonstrated what what it means for us to love sacrificially and to be truly human, to live the fullness of the human experience and be who it is that God intended us to be. Philippians 2, Paul writes this. You'll see it up on the screen. He said, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He became one of us so that we could have a restored oneness with him. He didn't say, go figure it out. And then, you know, he, he became one of us and made it very clear and, and made it possible for us to be one with him, to restore who we are intended to be, to rescue and renew the creation. Secondly, Jesus took on death. Death, sin, the very thing that separated us from God, the very thing that we are held hostage to as human beings. Jesus took that on and set us free through the work of the cross. Death was a part of the curse of the fall. Genesis chapter three, the serpent said this, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, oh, this is even for the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. No, you won't die. And then what happens? We read this last week, Romans 5, 12, just as sin entered the world through one man, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Sin enters. It's something that is on every one of our lives. It's, it's, a, it's, it's this thing that we are held hostage to, that we are in bondage, and Jesus takes on death. Now, we will all experience an earthly death, but Jesus takes on the curse of death. He takes on sin so that we no longer have to live under sin, and we can live in the promise of eternity that begins now and will exist in the age to come. Philippians 2, Paul describes it this way, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sets us free from that which was holding us bondage, from that which was holding us hostage, which was from the ruler of this world, the enemy, Satan. And so we now are free from death in the life that Christ has for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul describes it this way. He said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We no longer have to live under sin or under this curse of death, but we can live in the fullness of life and become the righteousness of God in Christ because he took on death so that we wouldn't have to. He took on death so that we could be restored in a oneness to him and be brought into this oneness relationship with others because it is sin and death that brings otherness. It is sin that separates. And it is the love of Christ and him taking on our death that brings us oneness. Thirdly, this really complements the second one. Jesus made life possible. Therefore, we live in victory. Jesus made life possible. 
So we live in victory. This is the story that we begin to read about and we begin to live in. As we read the story of the early church in the book of Acts, we see a group of people who they don't have all the material possessions in the world. They don't have all the fancy and nice things, but they are a group of people who even under immense pressure and difficult circumstances, they are living in victory because they understand that there's a different way of seeing the world. They understand that there's a new kind of freedom and life that has been granted to them and they are walking in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit that God has now given to them. And they are living in this way that leads to victory because of the victory that has been accomplished in Jesus. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The story of God renewing and rescuing his creation is the story of the victory that we can now live in in Christ Jesus, where we no longer have to live enslaved in sin, but we can live in this new way of life that has been made possible in Christ. Death no longer has any authority over us, but we have a fullness of life in Christ. Then lastly, Jesus created a community of oneness. Jesus created in his church a community of oneness. As I said earlier in John 17, he prayed for this to be a reality. And then he created this community. In the early church, in the book of Acts, when things are just getting started, the people who knew Jesus and saw Jesus and walked with Jesus, what were they, were, what were they doing? They were existing and living and thriving as one. Acts 4.32 says this, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. They were sharing everything together. They were caring for one another. There was not, that's mine. You can't have it. That's mine. I worked for this. I didn't know. There was this sharing and community and oneness that existed within the church because this is God's intention. This is God's ideal. And we are to be those who, once we've been brought into oneness with God, then bring that message of oneness and reconciliation to others. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, if all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we've been reconciled to God and then intended to go reconcile the rest of the world back to God to bring people into this new creation story where Jesus is king and we are telling others about this beautiful, wonderful kingdom that they can be invited into, that we can be a part of in building the new creation together, the creation that we were intended to live in. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, this won't be on the screen, but he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. I'm going to read that last sentence there again. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is over all, through all, and in all. 
We are to be the people who exist in this oneness relationship with God, with Christ as King over all, and we invite others into this community of oneness. So my, some application questions to consider and think through today. Where are there areas in your life where maybe you've been holding on to something that you know is disrupting the relationship and the oneness that you've been called into with God? What are some things that you've been clinging to that, you've, that you know they've, they've been, uh, I, and, and it's just this kingdom of self coming in and invading and trying to take over the kingdom space that God wants to invade and reign in your life. What are some things that you've been, that have maybe been disrupting that a little bit? And maybe you've been lying to yourself and saying, oh no, it's really not a disruption. Maybe you've even found some people like, oh no, that's no big deal. But you know, you know in your heart, you know in your mind, you know in your soul that this is something that is getting in the way of the oneness that you've been called into with God. Or maybe even a more difficult thing to consider, who are some people or where is there maybe a group of people that you've been viewing them as the other? They are this, they are that, all that, and that. And God is actually asking you to bring them into this community. God is actually asking you to have a conversation of reconciliation with them. God is pushing you to maybe start to see, maybe it's people you don't even know. And so maybe it's not even a conversation, but you just need to start saying, God, change my heart. Because I have a heart of bitterness. I have a heart of anger. I have a heart of frustration. I have a heart of whatever it is. And this is building up within you and it's disrupting the oneness that God desires for us to have with one another. And then my encouragement to you would be just as it was last week. Open up the Bible and start reading it and see this beautiful story of God unraveling where he is doing everything possible So much so that Jesus gave his very life so that we could have life and start to see where it is that you fit into this story, the story that God is telling, the story that he is still telling today where Christ is king over all and his kingdom work is happening on earth as it is in heaven and start seeing where can you start participating in the mission of God and what it is that God has for you. Where can your group start participating? Where can we as a church start participating? Let's start reading the scriptures together and finding where our place in the story is and who it is that God has called us to be. And may we be the people who exist as one and carry with us a message of oneness in a divided world because the message of Christ is the message that brings healing and life. If you would, please stand and join with us this morning. We're gonna sing one more song together. It's just to clear about how all we wanna be is with Jesus because it is with him that we start to be restored to the relationship that we were intended to live in.